Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. a little bit. If you're open to Matthew chapter 3, verse uh, 17, this is a passage. It's been been the main verse that we've been speaking out of. And this is a passage where John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. As Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and you hear the Father's voice. And he says this. He says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is such an important passage of Scripture because you see God the Son, he's being baptized. You see God the Spirit, who's descending on Jesus and anointing him for ministry. And then you don't see the Father, but you hear the Father's voice as he speaks, This is my beloved Son, with him I am well pleased. And so you see the Trinity in the Bible right there. If you've ever been looking for it, that's one place right there. You see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all, all together, all right, all together, and, uh, and, uh, and one. So behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now we took this verse, I started out this passage by taking that verse and we spoke over, uh, we spoke over the important words of my beloved son because, because we said this, that fathers bestow masculinity. Masculinity is not about uh, turning 18, uh, masculinity is not about turning 21 and being able to, to, to drink. Masculinity is, and listen, I'm into big trucks. I love big tires, all right? That's a, but, but I just don't like big trucks because some of you men have talked to me. Hey, I've got a big truck. I'm not trying to, I, 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 that's fine, all right? That's fine. But sometimes we feel like little kids and we're trying to use things to make us feel more like a man. And even a big truck won't do that, all right? Right? If you can get a big truck, do it. All right? But I'm telling you, uh, your heart is bigger than a truck. Okay? And so the, the fathers bestow masculinity on sons. And they do it like the father did to the son by speaking belonging, your mind, by speaking value, your beloved. Your beloved. Do you know this, that Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet in this passage of scripture? So in other words, Jesus hadn't performed well yet? All right? He, Jesus, was just the apple of his father's eye and knew it before he started his ministry. He had value in his father's sight. He is beloved of the father. And so this is my beloved son. So the father's speaking that identity. The the father's not asking Jesus how Jesus wants to identify. He is telling him who he is. He is the son. All right? So this is, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the father bestowing, and, and, in my opinion, masculinity here and, and giving us a model on how dads are supposed to do this with their sons. All right? Speaking belonging, speaking value, speaking identity. I think it's amazing, statistically, how many sons have never heard their dad say, I love you. Never. All right? It is crazy. And, and there's got to be at least 50 men in this room that have never heard that. And dad say, well, I showed them by providing. Well, I showed them by, well, listen, but you didn't speak it over them. And the model that the father shows is that the father, the father doesn't even show up presently. He shows up with his voice speaking it over the son. Belonging, value, identity. Now, the reason this is important is because if masculinity is not bestowed and, and spoken and told, to sons, then it will be sought out and defined on its own. Do you hear this? 
This, shouldn't, this is the recap. This shouldn't be the new part, all right? So you, you might have to go back a few weeks and listen to that. But, but, Matt, but identity will be sought out and defined on its own if it's not told by the Father. And this creates so much space for so much confusion and so much unhealth. It's the Father's voice is so important. And so that was week one. Week, week two was the second half of this verse, where, uh, which reads like this, with whom I am well pleased. So this is my beloved son. That's, that's uh, the, the Father's voice. And then he also speaks this, with whom I am well pleased. Now the reason that that is so important to us is because it's speaking to the question of a man's heart. And a man's heart asks a question that was placed there by God was stamped on our hearts and, and as, as image bearers. And that question on the man's heart is, do I have what it takes? And here the father, he's speaking to his son. He's saying, you have what it takes. I am very pleased with who you are. All right? Now, sometimes a boy will hear from his dad, I love you. But a boy won't hear from his dad, you have what it takes. Both are needed. Sometimes a boy will hear from his dad, you're my son. All right? But he won't hear, you have what it takes. What he will hear is, you know, did you get an A? Why weren't you the high scorer? In other words, he's speaking over his son. You may be my son. You may be mine. You know, I, I may love you, but you're not performing well enough for me. This is a death sentence to a masculine heart. This will send a boy in so many different directions. This, this will make someone feel crazy trying to get that question answered. Do I have what it takes? And, and boys will run in every direction. Boys will run to women to ask them. They can't answer the question. Boys will run to, will run to toys to ask them. They can't answer the question. Only dads can. Do I have what it takes? And here the father says, I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with my son. And this is what the masculine heart is longing to hear. Do I have what it takes? Dad, am I good enough for you? Dad, do you think I'm a wild man? Dad, do you think I'm going to do great things with my life? And a thousand times, a thousand different ways, fathers have to speak to sons and daughters. But we're just, this is man series, right? Fathers have to speak to sons. You have what it takes. You remind. You can't say, oh, I told him once when they were five. Not enough. Every day for the rest of the, if you're a dad, this is what you have to do. If you're a dad, you just have to do this. It is not an option. Well, my son's already grown up. My sons are already grown up. Not too late. Do it now. Don't admit defeat. Go back. Redeem the time. Do it now. You can do this. So important. But the problem is here, guys. And this is still all recap. Are right? you taking notes? You got your pencils out? All right, we got pens right in the back of your seats. Uh, the, here's the problem is that there are fewer and fewer fathers to answer this question and speak over sons, even spiritual fathers. Do you know what the church has done is the church has tried to make leaders, but they've lost these principles. And so we have a bunch of canned, here's what leaders do, steps to leadership in the church. But we, we have lost training, especially in evangelicalism. We've lost training on just becoming a man and imparting that to sons. All right? So there's fewer and fewer fathers to answer this question and speak over sons. And did you know that statistically, this is the most fatherless generation in all history? Right? There's never been more. The only one that compares is World War, the, what, World War I or II, one of the great world wars, because so many men were dying. But as I said a month ago, at least the sons and daughters knew that my dad left to go protect me. 
the, my dad went to fight for our country, and that's why he didn't come back. Today, we're just having guys making babies and then vamoosing. So there's this double orphan thing happening, and it is detrimental to a generation. Can I take a side note here and just, just say this? Knowing what's happening in the earth, can I encourage the church to get less angry and more broken when you see weird stuff? When you see kids walking around that think they're cats, can, instead of getting angry, can we get hurt? That kid needs a dad. Can, can, instead of getting this, and, and this, is, this is why I, I usually just despise politics, because it's just people that want power arguing together. All right, That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom runs on the love of the Father. And you look at people that are hurt and broken, instead of being angry at their sin, you get broken for the, the sin that Jesus died to pay for and, and, and put them back together. And I, I feel like, like God is calling us, let's just talk about us Providence, that we need to see Spring Grove and Hanover and West York and Thomasville and wherever you live, wherever you drive in from, Gettysburg and Maryland, we need to start seeing people in our neighborhoods, not as people that we're against, but people that the Father loves. And we see the... When we see uh, the, the weirdness of sin. Like, I drive my kids to school every day, and I see kids walking to school, and I'm just like, man, these are strange. I think they're people. I, these are strange births, right? And instead of getting angry, like, our heart has to break like the fathers. We have to have compassion in our hearts. This generation needs dads. This generation needs moms. This generation needs the fathers speaking over them. There's this desperate clamor for identity, and what I'm saying, guys, listen, is dads have a power to speak it, but it's got it's to be on the wings of love, not anger. It's not going to work. Do you hear this? So fathers, fathers, this is the most fatherless generation in history. And listen, as a visionary, here's what, here's what I love. Really bad problems are just really great opportunities for divine God solutions. All right, And I just feel like God's got a solution. He's built it in to how the world works. And it's called dads. It's called dads in a generation. Wow. It's hard to be a dad. Like, listen to this. Manhood is, is not bestowed like this. Be a man. That's just like someone who's worrying or someone that, that's full of anxiety, which is a legitimate thing. And so you, you get some dimwit that walks up to them and says, stop worrying. Oh, thanks. <laughs> From all the depths of your knowledge and wisdom on what I'm going through, I really appreciated that, right? But many times we just, we tell boys they need to be fathered to be a man, and what, what we're doing is we're cursing them because you're not told to be a man than expected to be one. You're initiated and invited in this marathon race into manhood, all right? But 54% of Americans come from a fatherless home. And of those fatherless homes, that I have no clue how many of, those, uh, of the, the remainder of the homes even had dads who knew they were men and knew how to make men. All right? So we've got a, this, in my opinion, is a pandemic worse than any of the other ones. We have to have men that know how to be men operating in the powerful love of the Father, not anger. So our culture is producing, this is still recap, all right? <laughs> you know that? I got 20 minutes, so it's, okay. it's going to be fine. Uh, but do, do you know that, that our culture is producing what, what uh, many scholars um, and, and students of the culture are calling self-made men? 
A self-made man is a man who has become successful, but he didn't have anyone to show him. Just from hard work and grit, just pulls himself up by his own bootstraps on his own. All right? That is a self-made man, a man who figures out how to do life on his own, and that is celebrated in a culture that doesn't understand masculinity, like ours. But it's actually a curse. And a self-made man is an uninitiated man. A man that never had a father telling him that he is a man and when he became one. This is what men do. It's, this is it's uncertain men. It's, it's a self-made man is actually a boy in a man's body trying to be good. And the deep question of their souls has never been answered. That's why they don't stop and they're becoming increasingly successful because they're looking for, do I have what it takes from the father? And they can't find it. So we're, we're producing self-made men, but we're also, our culture is producing this fatherless culture that, that and, and, the, and then the, a leadership culture in the church is doing this as well. Like, I don't, I want to be good leaders, but I want to lead like a good dad. Paul, Paul didn't raise up, uh, you know, many executives. He raised up sons. All right. He led like a dad. All right. This is how it, the model for leadership in the church is great parenting, not executive leadership. All right. And this, I, usually, I usually lose a lot of friends when I say that for some reason. I don't get that, <laughs> except that we have heightened the, the business leadership above everything. And so, like, people don't want to be a, a part of a church that's not being, you know, led in a good business way, but ours is. We're more organized now than we've ever been in the history of Providence. All right? Do you know why? It's because we've aligned with kingdom principles, and we say we're not going to be executives trying to make everyone feel like, like they belong in family. We're actually going to be a family, doing good business as family. All right. Two of my friends liked it. It's all right. I, I know those voices, too. That was Dave and, and Victor. I, I heard them. All right. But here's what is also happening is toxic masculinity is happening as a result of this horrible culture. All right, toxic masculinity, um, as I'm talking fast, I'm saying some very questionable things. I recognize that, uh, but uh, I've caught myself a couple times. Uh, but toxic masculinity is this. It's, it's selfish, arrogant, abusiveness that uses people and blames people instead of taking responsibility. All right, so, so you, you, dr you drive fast, you know, you yell a lot. You pride yourself in being an alpha male. All right? Only, only nine-year-olds in men's bodies call themselves alpha males. All right? Just to let you know. All right? Be because you're so, you're so starving to hear that you're manly. So, so you, you, have, you have to say it yourself. All right? A real man never calls himself an alpha. A, a real man says, Step on my head to, to go higher. All right? So toxic masculinity is selfish, selfishness, arrogance, abusiveness that uses and blames instead of taking responsibility. And so we're, we're losing biblical masculinity that serves, protects, lays down their life, loses the reputation, empowers without fear, and takes responsibility. We're losing dad. <laughs> Because we don't have dads and we don't have real men in our culture, but we're, we're about to. I can feel it. I can feel it in the atmosphere. God is doing this. Like, like uh, Bethel Church is talking about this. Like, uh, so many people are around. Like, when I talk to my little brother, Jordan, about this, like, he, he, his heart is bursting on this area. 
I feel God doing this in the earth. So many of us find ourselves, though, where we're self-made men, maybe toxic, at least hurting and starving for fathers. That's where many of us find ourselves, and we have the deep ache for a father in our hearts. I, I told you this, um, that you know, I went to almost eight years uh, of schooling and uh, graduate school, never even one time had a class where people taught on how to be a man. Never once. So even in our Christian institutions, we're blown it royally. Now, that was all the recap. I want, you to, I want you to lock in here. I want to talk to you about five or six stages of masculine development and what needs to happen to each one. I'm going to comment a little bit more on some. I'm going to skip through some of the other ones, but buckle in here for just a few more minutes, and then, then we'll see what God wants to do. Amen? You still with me? Anybody need some meat? I've got some up here. Anybody? No, that's a serious question. Is anybody hungry? Yeah, write it right down here. So we got here. Here, take it and, and share it. All right? All right. There we go. Okay. Now listen to this. Here's the stages of, of masculine uh, initiation. And uh, get out your pens. I'm just going to list them off to you first, and then I'm going to talk on a few. But the first one is boyhood. All right? Say boyhood. All right? Second one is, is the cowboy stage. All right? Third is the warrior stage. Then lover stage. Let's just talk about that, all right? You, know, just, you just get stuck on that one, all right? Uh, and then, uh, then, then there's the king stage. And then there's the sage stage. All right, these people, listen, you get some more meat. You did really good there, so listen. All right, now, I, I'm really, and a lot, of, a lot of what I'm getting here is from a book written by John Eldridge called Fathered by God, and I meant to bring it with me. I had a lot of quotes that I wanted to read out of it, and I left it at home this morning. And so but I want to encourage you to get that book. I think uh, anytime we recommend a book, we're not recommending every last word in the book, but it's good to sometimes read something that you have to wrestle with, and you say, I don't know if I believe that. That's called discipleship, all right? The other one, if you just read everything that you believe in, that, that's called unhealthy denominationalism, all right? So we got it. Discipleship is, is wrestling around with stuff, and this is one of those books that I want to encourage you to, to read and take to heart. But let's talk about the boyhood stage. The boyhood stage is a time of exploration and wonder, all right? It's not a time to work. It's a time to play. It's, it's, it's not a time to be responsible. It's a time to explore, all right? This is where a boy operates under the strength of his father and feels safe as a result. All right? One of the best things, Dad, that you can do with your little kids is hold them and make them feel safe. One of the best things you can do is not share your financial woes with them and make them feel insecure. All right? How many times have we done that? How many times have we had unguarded conversations about bills around our kids? This is, it is not good. It sabotages this stage. I've done it. I've done it. I'm not saying I, I have. All right? So here's a quote. It says, The safety that a father's strength provides allows, allows a boy to be a boy. Do you hear that? The safety that a father's strength provides. A father's, you were made strong to provide safety for others. All right? Not used to pioneer your own you know, entrepreneurship. All right? But to be strong for others, especially sons and daughters. The safety that a father's strength provides allows a boy to be a boy. It creates a universe for a boy's heart to come fully alive. Dads, your strength helps your boy dream and play, and that is good, all right? It is not the time to teach them how to, remember, to build, you know, around here we, we build things. We don't knock things down, right, when you build blocks. It's a time to let kids knock things down. 
and make a mess and be a boy and love it. A boy wants to be powerful. That's why boys love to be superheroes, right? Many of us, not all of them, but many boys love to be superheroes. Uh, that's why, have you noticed that sometimes uh, uh, a son's, this, this did not happen with my daughters, but it did happen with my son. I think my son's first sounds, well, first he said dad at first, all right, which I, I take that to heart, right? I love that. But it's, it's like expl- sounds of explosions, guns, and cars. Like, you know, you know like, 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 it's just that kind of sound that boys almost instinctively make it. I, I wonder what boys did back before. The, it's it's kind of like prophetic sounds. Like back in Jesus' day, boys are like, like, people are like, ooh, what is that? You know, but boys are just kind of, they're just kind of making this, all right? So boyhood is a stage for affirmations. That here's what a, a little boy's heart longs to hear is that I and, and longs to know that I am adored by my dad. I'm adored by a father. And a, a, a mantle, this is a mantle that a beloved son needs to be bestowed here. It's a mantle, all right, that you take off. And it's, it's adoration and bestowal of approval and love. You are loved by me. You can't shake it, all right? And a boy is meant to know that, that, that he is the beloved son, the apple of his father's eye. It is often cut short. Here's the pain. Here's the wound. It's often cut short when at 8 years old or 12 years old or 15 years old or even 17 years old, the father leaves for some freakish reason and says, you're the man of the house now, son. That, that is a death sentence to a, a boy's heart. His shoulders aren't big enough for that. You didn't train him for that. You've thrown him into your responsibility. And sometimes the dads do that. Or sometimes the wounded, hurting mom that's just been abandoned looks to the son to be the dad. Death sentence to a son's heart. Safety is stolen when the father leaves. When when a boy is forced to grow up too soon. That is many times, boys, that is when they become performance-based, way too serious. Their grades are important, sports. I remember this. When, uh, when, I was, when my parents got divorced, we're in the Brethren Christ Church. My parents got divorced, when, and we moved, I moved to a farm to my stepdad's house when I was about 12, 13 years old. And I remember I just worked for that guy, and I wanted him to like me, and I used to watch him fight uh, like wild Mustangs to the ground and sit on them. And I was just like, man, if this guy could like me, I would love that. And so he taught me how to drive a truck. He taught me how to work hard on the farm, bale hay, shoot guns, which is my favorite, all right? And every single night in the summer, we would shoot clay birds. And I got so good at shooting clay birds with a, uh, with a 20 gauge that he would call his friends over, all right? This is like an over and under, had a 22 Magnum on top, had just a, you know, a, a single shot 20 gauge on the bottom. It had, it had rifled sight not even the shotgun sight, and I would, I would never miss, all right? And he would call his friends over and say, look at this boy, look at this boy. And it's when I felt, uh, and when I felt adored by a man, but it was all based on my performance. And this is how much of our adoration has been tied to how well we perform, grades, sports, shooting, working. And it is, it is a mess when it goes sideways. So that's boyhood. Very important stage. We need to know more about it. But I want to move to the cowboy stage. The cowboy stage happens around 12 to 13 years old, and it goes to like the mid-20s. And, and we can't box everybody in on this, but this is about where it goes. This is a yearning that what happens in this stage is a yearning for real adventure. Not adventure experienced on a, on a, a gaming console, all right, which is usually the cheap substitute, 
but real adventure that you were made for in the real world. It's, there, there's this, this healthy desire to prove yourself, to stand strong against some, some giants, to be tested. And the, the answer that do I have what it, what it takes in this stage comes partly through adventure and then partly through hard work. you got to learn how to work hard if you try to build a life always asking what's the easiest thing. You're going to be a wimpy man. All right? Life is just hard. All right? And so, so sometimes this adventure or hard work comes through sports and that dedication. Uh, sometimes it comes through your first job and having to learn how to operate under a rough boss or in a, doing a job that you don't really like or even feel called to. Uh, the, your first car in this stage is really important. You have, to, you, you have to learn some stuff. I know my Cowboys stage started on the farm like I was just talking about. And as difficult it was and as unhealthy of a context that we were, we were in, God still found me with a, a, on the farm. Yeehaw! You know, like God, God can do that. And he found me on the farm, kind of exiled from the church. Like, I've seen the church at the worst. You know, all that needs to happen is a, a pastor's family needs to go through a divorce, and you see what the church actually does. And it is like, it is like, <laughs> they just shot us while we were down for years and years, and years, and years, and I even interviewed at another church in the area years ago, and they wanted to hire me to be the college pastor at a, at a mega church in the area, and the, the pastor said, last question, he goes, tell me about your dad. It's like, what do you mean about my dad? Well, he's divorced, right? Yeah, but I'm not. He said, yeah, I just don't want that, you know, that baggage at my church. Well, thanks. This is, it, it never stops. It, it haunts me to this day. Listen, my parents are divorced. Get over it. <laughs> you know, like seriously, guys. You know, but the cowboy stage started, and uh, uh, for me, when I was on the farm, and I learned to hunt, I learned to shoot, I learned to drive, I learned to work. I didn't come home to TV and social media. I came home to a 16-gauge and head to the woods. All right? And I spent all kinds of quiet time Climbing to the top of a hill, sitting in a tree line, waiting for some geese or ducks to fly over and land in Silver Lake and staring at a little quiet town. And God met me there. Listen, listen, I, I'm concerned about what social media is doing to us as we veg on it for six hours a day at least. I'm very concerned about what a digital generation is happening where you never have quiet time, where you just learn to be bored and meet God in the silence. David... As an example of this, like he, he was a shepherd boy, or in other words, a cowboy. He, this is a hard job, camping out in the field for months, fighting lions and fighting bears. But this is, this is important. He, he, as he fought lions and bears, he grew in confidence, not arrogance. We have a lot of people that are arrogant because they beat a level on a game, but they've never, they've never fought a bear in one. Or they've never fought a real challenge in one, and so they're arrogant instead of confident. We need confident people in these days, guys. In this stage, you discover that life is hard, and, but you have what it takes given by God to deal with it. The goal is not an easy life. If you spend all of your energy trying to create the easiest life possible, you're going to miss your calling. And that's what you learn in this stage. And the wound comes in this stage when you're allowed to live in front of the TV, you're allowed to live in front of the computer, you're allowed to live in front of the gaming station, or, or you're allowed to construct for yourself the easiest life possible. That's where the wound comes. Where, where the, the son is not handed off to men, but mom keeps raising him and feeding him applesauce like this, dressing him, right? 
Well, I, I, I felt the offense on that one, but you guys know what I meant. <laughs> you, got, you, got a, a cowboy, you have to learn how to work hard and not, not make convenience your top priority. With my last few minutes, here's the warrior stage. The warrior stage, you realize that there are certain things in life worth fighting for. Um, Exodus chapter uh, 15, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. This is right after they've cro- the Israel's crossed through the Red Sea. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, This is on the other side of the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God. And I will exalt him. Now look look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And today we we get to that and we say, hey, what does that say in the message? Or hey, what does that say in the Bible? I don't like the man of war thing. But we we have to read the Bible and actually translate words accurately and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? What it means is God's heart. He's a warrior God. The the captain and and the general of angel armies. That's actually what one of God's names means. The, the, the Lord of the armies of heaven. And there's some things that you, you find in life that they, they don't happen by passivity. They happen by intentionality and where you rise up and you do what is necessary in a moment with, with the warrior God who's made you in his image. And some things in life require a battle and God in, intends for men to join him in the battle. Let me tell you one thing that requires battle is this church. I never in six billion lifetimes would have ever been able to do what we've done at Providence if I didn't decide to say, hey, listen, this is, I'm not trying to create for myself the easiest life possible. I'm a warrior. I'm advancing the kingdom. Whether I lose all my friends, whether I lose all my money or not, I am doing this out, out, of, out of warfare, uh, making the enemy tremble because I will refuse to give up. And that happens, that the Israel crossing the Red Sea, and take, they're, they're taken to the edge of the promised land, and they're invited in. And then the spies come back with a report of fear and passivity, most of them, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so do you know what would have happened? Here's one thing that we forget a lot on that story. You know what I'm talking about? The spies spying out the promised land? God, they were on the edge of God's promise, but because they were unwilling and afraid to fight and take possession of the land, they were sent to the wilderness. Now, now we romanticize the wilderness so much, but they were never supposed to go there, guys. Do you hear this? They could have had the promise there. And God will meet you, God will meet you in the wilderness for 40 years. He will. But there are some things, there's some times where a battle is just unavoidable. The wilderness was a result of not fighting. Can I I, uh, tell you this, that the the path of least resistance is often the wrong path? And passivity is the enemy to biblical masculinity? We we see that throughout church history. Martin Luther, not necessarily king, but I think he would be be a good example. But Martin Luther, the the pastor and the uh, kind of the catalyst for the Reformation, 500 years ago, when he saw abuse and unbiblical practices uh, in the church of his day, he started the Reformation with his pen, not his sword, the 95 Thesis on the, on the Wittenberg door, right? He just, didn't, he, he just decided to do something. Have you ever had this, this unction in your heart when you see something unjust going on and you just decide to walk away? That's called passivity. What, what, what's called, what's called be, being uh, 
a warrior is saying, I'm going to do something, even if it's the wrong thing. William Wilberforce, at 28 years old, devoted his entire life to fighting the British slave trade. All right? In government, he said, I'm, I'm fighting for this, whether it cost me my life, and it did. Can I tell you this? Here's the best marriage advice that I have. Discover the warrior and decide that you're going to fight for your marriage. All right? Listen, th- this, this whole thing of saying, well, you know, just like, yeah, my marriage isn't what it could be, but it's not horrible. Like, make it what it could be. Take the land. Right? You have to fight for your marriage. You, you, you don't romanticize the wilderness. You have to contend for God's best in your, in your marriage and in your life. This is where you learn. You have to be a warrior. And the warrior stage requires training and it requires discipline and it requires endurance. And the wound that can creep in in this stage is the enemy will try to get warriors in battles that aren't theirs or will try to get warriors obsessed with war. Because you're fighting for a cause. You're not fighting because you're so angry you have to fight. And this is, I, I know a lot of guys and me on an angry day I just want to fight. So that's, that's, not, that's not biblical masculinity. That is, that is pain, and you need help. All right. Then there's the lover stage where you discover that it's not all about a fight, and your heart has to be touched with beauty. And the problem is when life becomes defined by battle instead of love, because Christianity is, is, is most intimately a love story, and where you begin to open your heart up instead of just trying to get out there and swing stuff. Where, where you're invited to not only know God's heart, but you're invited to know your heart. You're invited out of reason and analysis. A reason and analysis can make you feel in control because you know how to do this stuff. All right? But God wants, us to, wants to invite us out of that into just love sickness for him and for his creation and for the people that he loves. And then there's the king stage where God wants to entrust us with his kingdom. Do you know what? That God wants to entrust us with his kingdom. But you have to be trained how to be a king if you're going to be entrusted with kingdom. You hear that? Here's a big question of a king. Can a king, um, you can be a king when you can be entrusted with power. And as a pastor, um, I, see, I see a lot of people wanting to be kings of, you know, they, they want to lead a team or they want to do this or they want to have a, a title. Um, but I just want to tell you, leader, leadership is, is, you shouldn't want it. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I've been a pastor for enough years now, like almost 25 years, all right? And you shouldn't want this. You should be called to this. There should be some hesitancy. Listen, many times when you want a position of leadership or authority, it's because your heart has never heard, uh, has never heard the Father's voice or a Father's voice, or your heart is, has, still has the nagging question, do I have what it takes? And so you hope that this position of authority will help make you feel like a man. Let me tell you, it won't and you'll hurt people. All right? You can become a king when you can be trusted with power, not to make yourself feel better, but to serve others. A good king brings order to the realm. And every man for himself mentality is what happens when a king won't rule. All right? Wanting to be a king is evidence that you shouldn't be. All right? In my story, I have honestly not wanted to be a king. Honestly, you can trust the people that know me the most. I, I, I haven't wanted it. I don't care about staying on stages. In fact, here's been my problem. My problem is not, is not walking in the authority that God's given me and me giving it away too quickly and too freely. That's been my problem. I don't want all the pressure of all this. I don't want to be like, I, my greatest fear is public speaking. I hate it. I hate being on screens. I hate that. You know, I, I literally do. 
But I've made a major mistake by giving away too much authority that God has entrusted to me. And God's been taking me through a series in my 40s now. I'll be 44 next month. And God's taken me in my 40s now on a, on a, uh, on a tour to all the places where I gave authority away and made a mess. And I had to walk into the enemy's camp. I said, I gave this up and I need it back. And it's going to be a nasty fight, but I'm not leaving until I've got it. And that is what it does. All right? Super, super important. And the last stage is a sage stage. And this is the best one. This we need to have honor for older generations. You can't be a sage at, at 24 years old. And you can't pretend you are one just because there's a thing called social media. I would just love to say, hey, keep your mouth shut till you're 65. That's what I love to say, but I, w- I would never say that, at least publicly. But there's an honor for older generations. And there's, there's got to be an ear for their voice. Where, where, here's what sages do. Uh, sages should have the most influence in this stage because they're honored the most highly because they've been through all the stages and now all the other, all the other uh, people under them say, hey, what do you think we should do? You're the one that's been battle tested. See, sages step out of kingship to let other people rise up. And they, they are voices in the background, still strong, but they're voices in the background. They're speaking with an influence that none of the other stages can have. And I really think that, you know, that's one of the most beautiful things at Providence, that we're truly a multi-generational church. We have that diversity. where we, we've, got, we've got some sages at Providence, like Krista Prey, like Steve S. Palmer, like Tom Stippling, well, maybe not Tom, but no, I, I, I'm just showing you. Tell, where are you, Tom? Yeah, you're a total sage. John Ilias, one of my favorite sages in the house. All right? So the, the, these people that don't need to be on stages and lead the charge that are, that are championing generations coming up. So these are, man, we don't have time to get through all of this stuff, but I just, these, are, these, are, these are stages that God, listen, ultimately, if you don't have an earthly father, you don't have men in your life, it's okay. Because you've got a father that wants to take, he, he wants to meet you in every single stage like this. I feel that many of us, emotionally and spiritually speaking, are stuck at one of those. And honestly, it's usually the boyhood stage where, where you were hurt at nine and you've never progressed. And listen, God wants, he's inviting you today. I want to take you through all these stages. I want to make you the kind of man that I know that you can be with me. And so here's some things that we're doing at Providence to help initiate men. Um, Tom and I have been talking about doing fireside chats on Sunday nights, which is where young men and women can sit around a, uh, a campfire and talk to a real, a real man, talk to a father, and just come and just talk, and there's nothing on the agenda except eat some s'mores and, and listen to a man and ask questions and see initiation happen. We're also playing an annual rite of passage weekend where, where dads can bring their boys to the hill. We're going to do crazy stuff. We might release a wild pig or pigs, all right? And just toss a few knives on the ground, see what happens, all right? All right? And, 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 but we're just going to, be focus, we're going to be focusing and helping to train dads just speaking to their sons and just become men. Like, and we need this. We need this, guys. So we're, listen, we're doing this, I promise. We're doing this. We're, we're focusing on discipleship that actually develops spiritual parents, not just teaches people leadership of principles, all right? King Saul wanted to kill David because David was 10 times better than King Saul, all right? Well, you can operate as a leader with leadership principles, but you've got a massive wound in your heart if that's what's driving you, 
All right? So, so leadership and spiritual parenting is when you actually desire and celebrate when others are better than you. You don't use your authority to keep people down. Like, that, that's, that's not, that's like, you know, that's jockeying for, that's like medieval times, all right? So you're trying to stay king. In the kingdom, you don't try to stay king. You try to, who can I hand it off to at the right time, you see? So these are some things that we're doing. Um, but uh, here, last thing, I know that I'm over. I, I'm over every week. I get it, all right? But uh, there's, here's a story. I was in fourth grade. My parents just got divorced. The church shunned us, and that saying it lightly. Uh, all kinds of battle scars, living on government cheese, um, learning that I'm moving to a, a farm, you know, all of this stuff. You know, my dad on the weekends, my mom during the week, you know, school. It was, it was just a mess. I felt like I had to be a dad to my brother. I felt like all, all, all of this crazy stuff, all right? And God met me in the, in the midst of it, but God brought this story to my attention that uh, was just, I mean, I, I felt Jesus in it. I was in fourth grade, left a school that I loved to go to Dillsburg Elementary School, where my family moved. I remember I had a hard time breaking in and making friends. Make a long story short, there was a guy that just needed a dad that wanted to pick on me. And when I, I went to the bathroom, I came back from the bathroom, and he had a sharpened pencil that he had placed on my chair. And I went and I sat on it, and it jammed me in the, in the thigh, like penetrated the skin. And then he was kind of surprised, so he pulled away fast, which broke off the, the, the pencil point in my leg. And, I, you know, here's, here's what happens when, when you get hurt as a man, all right? And even as a fourth grader, I just acted like it didn't happen. And the guy's like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, whoa. And I'm just like, what? Well, I didn't feel anything. Well, you did something, all right? On the in, I'm trying to play the man on the outside. On the inside, I'm, I'm, I'm crying like a little kid. And I go home, and the first thing I do when I see my parents is I just bawl like a kid. I pull my pants down. I show them what happened, all right? My mom takes a needle and tweezers and has to dig that thing out, which was, took hours, all right? Let me, let me tell you this, though. Um, you know the best thing that my dad did for me? is my dad went into school with me, uh, with me the next day. <laughs> See, this is what happens so many times, guys. So many times, dads will say, now you need to go and you need to punch that kid in the face. You really jack him up. You need to stand up for yourself. That is not what you need to do. You need to pull, like, these are, we're talking about children, all right? There might be a time as, and the cowboy stage or the warrior stage to just jack someone in the face, all right? I'm serious, all right? But, but there's, as, as a boy, you know, what, you know what a boy needs? A boy needs the father's strength. So my dad went in with me to school. I, I literally, literally I, I'm hobbling from, from woundedness. I'm hobbling, but I'm, I'm just thinking, my dad's with me. My dad's with me. My dad's with me. And I loved it when my, when my dad walked right up to that boy. I said, that's the guy right there. He walks right up to him. He brings the teacher over. They have a, a, a Pentecostal meeting. <laughs> all right? Very Pentecostal. Lots of tears. Lots of flame. Uh, all right? And then this kid starts crying, which felt great. All right? And then he apologized to me which felt better. But there was something about just a dad's strength in those moments. Let me tell you this. That is, just, that is just a little illustration of what the Father wants to do for you men. Do you hear this? The Father wants to go to the places where you've been hurt, where people have abused you and used you, where you've tried to be, be tough, where you've tried to play like the man. The Father wants to go with you to those places and be strong for you. He's not asking you to be strong for yourself. The gospel is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Be strong. Be strong. The gospel is admitting that you're weak and you need a dad. You hear this? And the Father right now, he can do this. He can do this for you right now. You can invite him. Like, I, I, Listen, you need to stop drinking away your, your pain and you need to start offering your pain to the Father who's going to go with you to all of those places. 
Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.